Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. And today I've got a fabulous guest for you all the way from upstate New York. And I believe she's just waking up, which is great because I'm mid-afternoon over here in, in Britain. She's one of the world's most requested motivational speakers with a bigger-than-life stage presence. This CEO of HighProfitZone.com has transformed lives worldwide from a homeless teen to a multi-millionaire entrepreneur. Her extraordinary transformation is one of the inspirations behind her bold message, helping others discover their own untapped talents and infinite potential. Today, fans worldwide revere her for a mastery of teaching people how to tap into their limitless potential. A noted successful entrepreneur, she's built an organization dedicated to helping other entrepreneurs, coaches, speakers, consultants, and experts to succeed. Please welcome Donna St. Louis. Donna, how are you? I am absolutely fantastic. How are you today? Oh, I'm, I'm great. Thank you. So you're waking up there over, over in the States. That's good news. I'm like, yeah. I mean, this is pre-coffee, so yep. <laughs> I cannot vouch for anything that falls out of my mouth. So, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, having met you and oh, it's a couple of years ago now at a conference, and uh, and I remember you you weren't shy on on talking your mind, which is exactly uh, <laughs> which is exactly what we'd hope for. Donna, your I think your you story. Have the wrong person. First of all, I think I'm a bit of a wallflower, um, <laughs> you know, and a little shy and not outspoken at all, and I never interrupt people so uh, <laughs> well the beauty of uh, of recording this sort of stuff before we go live is that when, when I talk over you and you talk over me we can do something about that but uh, look it's so lovely of you to to get up and, and and talk to me today you've got a fabulous background just give us a quick for people who haven't met you or haven't come across you before give us a quick kind of understanding of of, of Donna Oh, absolutely. So I'm a cancer with Leo rising. Um, no, I'm, uh, I was, I was, <laughs> that's going to be typical. I'm just preparing. I, I don't um, even know what you're talking about because I'm a dinosaur, I think. Is, is that one of them? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's, you are, wow, you're so on point. <laughs> I am, I, uh, I was, I was born in Miami actually, and I right. do live in, I actually live on the East Coast of the United States. So based right. on what time of year it is, I live in either Jupiter, not the planet, but the part in Florida, um, the uh-huh. D.C. area or upstate New York. But when I was, uh, right. when I was 19 years old, I was homeless and okay. I lived in my car for a few months and I had to figure out how to get out of my car, which I ended up doing. I stumbled my way. I say stumbled, but I actually had to work my way into I.T., Um, Once I got into information technology, I decided that because I did not have a college degree, that I was going to get 
every certification known to man in regards to IT. Um, right. To give you an idea of what that looks like, most IPT people know how to write code or or they know how mm-hmm. to build hardware or they know how to do networks or they know how to do design. And that was not me. I wanted to have a certification in all of them. So right. I became certified in everything from how to build the computer, how to connect it to networks, how to make those networks sing, how to um, write the code, uh, all of it, UX, UI design, the whole thing. So I got really heavy in IT. I got really right. heavy in um, in databases and that type of stuff. And then I built a business intelligence company and I sold it 13 years later and I retired. That's a hell of a change from, from living in a car <laughs> to selling a a multi-million right. dollar business. There's a few steps in between like you seem tiny, to have forgotten. I mean, it's insignificant, really. <laughs> so t- t- talk to me about the business that you sold. What was so special about it? Um, the business that I sold was a business intelligence company. And so it's kind mm-hmm. of funny because people say, so does that mean you spy on other businesses? Not really. We actually spy on the businesses that hire us. <laughs> we, we take their right. data yeah. and we slice it and dice it and make magic happen with that data um that's basically what it comes down to um okay so so we tell them we kind of said that we help predict the future of business um what was really special about it was that we were able to do this across industries rather than just a single organization so what made it really special was our ability to predict how a single entity's data impacted the industry as a whole or how the industry as a whole impacted a single entity's data was all the difference in the world because it helped my clients make smarter business decisions. Okay. And so, I mean, the, the people are starting to really understand the importance of data these days, but there's a very big issue, I guess, in in how do you transcribe that in your mind to turning that into actions in a business so let me tell you okay so here it is so let's say for example you decide that you want to purchase and i'll I'll use an example from back in the day and then one current okay so let's say back in the day you are standing in in one of the um high-tech stores and you're trying to purchase a dvd Mm -hmm. at the time there was a choice when these dvds first came out between two dvds there was Panasonic HD and there was a Blu-ray DVD. If you bought the Panasonic, it did not work on a Blu-ray player. If you bought Blu-ray, it did not work on a Panasonic. Mm -hmm. This is very frustrating, by the way, for customers because they're like, well, I don't know which one to get, which one, what if one goes away, you know? Mm -hmm. And so business intelligence, number one, allows our clients to make a decision on which one of those are doing better in the race. So which one is doing better? That's the first question. Once they determine which one is doing better, we help them with this decision. They literally start pulling Panasonic HD off the shelf and Mm -hmm. selling it for extra cheap and thereby Sony Blu-ray taking over, which now impacts you as a consumer because your choice is now Panasonic Blu-ray. You don't have to worry about going between one or the other and you have something that you know is going to work. So that's Uh back in the day. Yeah. Our business intelligence drove that decision. Right. Literally, we drove mm-hmm. that decision. Some people would actually say that we made that decision. Um, right. Pan- Panasonic wasn't playing nice with us. And then, <laughs> and then if you go, if you fast forward uh, to today, 
Today, it's a little different. So you decide that you're going to go online and you're going to make a purchase online. You saw an ad on Facebook, you click on that ad, and now you make a purchase. Mm-hmm. You now have, we now have data all the way down to the click. Right. And we can take that data and we can say, based on these demographics and all of this information, this is how you should put together your Facebook ad. This is how right. you should. So it it's literally down to that point where we could say, the color of the button that matters, the type of text that matters, the, whether the person is black, white, blue, green, or orange, male, female, whether how that matters. We can tell you exactly what algorithm to put together in order mm-hmm. to drive a better buying decision to your advantage from your customer. And so how does that impact the, the kind of the way that the customer then feels about that business? Well, it makes the customer feel like the business knows them, mm. right? If all of a sudden, so let's say I am a transgender female mm-hmm. and it's suddenly instead of just getting hetero white male or hetero white female um, images on my uh, on my Facebook feed mm-hmm. in regards to advertisements, I'm getting advertisements that look more like me. Right. So now I feel like, so if I'm that person sitting there and I'm, the, uh, tr- let's say I'm a transgender African-American female and I'm looking and I see a transgender African-American female come across my feed, mm-hmm. then I feel like, oh, that company gets me. They know me. That is the company for me. Yeah. It also ensures that from a company perspective, that the company isn't wasting their time or money putting ads in front of people that they don't connect with. Right, right. And knowing people, I, mean, I, I talk a lot on this show about personalization of business, but but getting to actually feel known is is a very um, simple thing, but so many businesses don't do it well. They don't at all. Um, one of the things that, that I developed is something called the seven triggers to yes. Right. And the seven triggers to yes is based on Aristotle's Nicomachean ethics. Okay, so that just sounded like, like right now everybody's listening is going, okay, she's a total geek. <laughs> But I swear to you, I'm a real live human person. Um, hey, being, so, being geek, well, it's cool to be a geek these days. I, I, I've been one for many years, so <laughs> I kind of established the cool of geekdom. Um, right. but, but one of the things that kind of happened was back in here is 399 BC, and mm-hmm. this dude is studying people's desires, right? right what drives people and what motivates them. You know, back in the time when, you know, this is pre-Freud, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I got into Aristotle because I worked when I was in high school at this uh, um, doctor's office and she said, don't study Freud, study what Freud studied and who he should have studied, which took me to Aristotle. Okay. Here's the cool thing. What Aristotle wrote back in 399 BC, we use today in marketing. Mm-hmm. We use it today as the baseline of every archetype text out there from disc to strengths finder to all of it. Uh And so what I did was instead of telling you, you have to take a disc test and instead of telling you have to take a Myers-Briggs test or a strengths finder test, I just said, what if we just updated Aristotle's seven triggers to the 20th century so people can read and understand them right? and then say, yep, that resonates or nope, that doesn't. Mm -hmm. So what? that's it. And once you understand those triggers, uh, I'm sorry, once you understand those triggers, all of a sudden, not only do you understand what your strengths are uh-huh. and what drives you and what motivates you and how you like to be spoken to, but when you understand what other people's triggers are and what motivates them, then you know exactly how to speak their language. It's like the Rosetta Stone of emotional communication. Fantastic. And so what, what are they? What are the what are the seven triggers to a yes? 
So the seven triggers are, don't let me know when you're ready because I'm going to do them quickly. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so the seven triggers are um, acceptance uh-huh. is the first one, uh, significance, mm-hmm. dominance. Right. So you got those top three. Those, yeah, are, yeah. those yeah. three are really important because yeah. they kind of define how we make up our team. So significance, acceptance, dominance. Yeah. Then you have instant gratification, uh-huh. simplicity. Yep. Treasure, how many have I given you? Significance, four. Uh, sorry, that's uh, let's see, you gotta keep up. <laughs> I'm trying to do my count on my finger yeah, over here. Yeah, as no, I talk I've to only you. got 10 fingers as much leverage, as that's where I am. Yeah, yeah. So we have acceptance, significance, dominance, yeah, instant gratification, yeah. treasure, simplicity, and leverage. Yeah. Leverage, okay. And so, when when you're talking to to entrepreneurs and co- and coaches and people building businesses, how how do they start to use these? What what does each bit mean, and how do they all work together? Absolutely. So, one of the first things that I do when working with anyone who's coming through my company, High Profit Zone, mm-hmm. is you know entrepreneurs right now are more concerned with ensuring that they build a business that's not just about making money, mm-hmm. but it's about something that they love to do and that yeah. it embodies their strengths. So one of the first things we look at is the triggers. What is the thing that motivates you? And what is the thing that you're the strongest at? When uh-huh. we know those two things, then we can take your expertise, plop it right there in the middle and go, this is how you personally should be delivering and working within this area of expertise. Makes okay. all the difference in the world. And how do people find that? Because so many people say, you know, I've got a great idea or want to want to run this as a business. How do you get to the heart of what you're going to do? Well, so so the first thing is I do tell people there's a lot of people who want to do everything. Mm-hmm. And I do tell people I don't want you to do everything. I want you to do something that's significant. Yeah. That if I put you on a private island and it's the only thing you could do for the rest of your life, what would that be? Right. Um, then the second thing I ask people is there is something that's consistently made you successful in business, in life. There's one thing I don't, I don't necessarily know what it is, but you do. And mm-hmm. on top of it, you probably have a step-by-step method that you're following to do that thing. What is it? Right. Because that is your true area of expertise. Your true area of expertise is not necessarily a topic that someone gave you or something that you just studying in school. It's some, it's something else. It's something beneath that. And below that, we want to get to that core. And then we want to mm-hmm. tie it in with your strengths and motivators. People talk about that a lot. I mean, not just, not just in, in the way that you've described it in lots of different ways about getting to the heart of that. Mm-hmm. But then obviously there needs to be a business to build from there, doesn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so here, I'll give you a, a perfect example. I was talking to a gentleman the other day who's absolutely brilliant in regards to, mm. um, he thinks companies should be more socially conscious. That is one of his bigger things. And I go, that's great. Right. But there are three things that are companies that are worried about. Number one, their bottom line. Number two, their efficiency. And number three, their productivity. Mm-hmm. So, um, how is that going to help? Yeah. How is being more socially conscious going to help an organization in one of those three areas? And he said, well, if you're socially conscious, then now you have this specific target market who's very interested in that socially conscious effort. And that target market will be highly loyal and it will impact your bottom line. Mm-hmm. 
okay, now we're talking, right? And so, and so you have to make sure that while you want to do this great thing, and I'm not, I mean, being socially conscious and being what he calls a global citizen is very, very important. However, making sure that we're mm-hmm. not a martyr in our global citizenship is also critical. And so we're not asking companies to martyr themselves. We're asking companies to take a look at your global citizenship efforts and how you can leverage those efforts towards a more powerful bottom line mm-hmm. and towards a more loyal following and target market. Sure, sure. And that building that loyal following is is the heart of business, isn't it? I know you Absolutely. you talk a lot about that. And I, I heard a wonderful story or heard you speaking and tell a wonderful story about going into a Starbucks <laughs> um, and how that led you to be a very loyal Starbucks. Uh, user. I am a Starbuckian. Right yes, <laughs> a Starbuckian. Wow. Okay. What what happened at the Starbucks? Uh, so so the long and short of it is, I go into the Starbucks. I've and you have to know that at the time I was not a coffee drinker at all. I didn't drink anything stronger than chocolate milk, and uh, right. and I walk in. But it's one of those mornings where I didn't get enough sleep the night before. I'm getting ready to get on a plane. And I'm just a little, just not quite awake. And so I walk in and there's mm-hmm. this girl named girl in there named Elizabeth, Liz. Right. Liz literally is the hypest little Chihuahua Starbuckian person <laughs> ever in the morning. And she's just so chipper and happy. And she's like, good morning. And I'm like, I hate you. Um, so, <laughs> and it's just her and I, it's, you know, it's really first thing in the morning. So it's just the two of us. And I, I told yeah. her, I said, listen, I know, I, I said, I don't drink coffee. And, and of course, I'm in a Starbucks. And I said, but I need caffeine. So we got to make this happen. And she goes, she, she kind of yeah. analyzes my, what I might enjoy. And then she looks at me and she goes, I know what's perfect for you. Um, a white chocolate mocha uh, with extra whipped cream, right. of course. And I'm like, whatever you just said just sounds like, <laughs> you know, goodness and, and heaven. And so does it have yeah. caffeine in it? She goes, I will put extra caffeine and still make it extra sweet. And I was like, I love you, you know, um, but I still thought she was yeah. a bit of a chihuahua and still kind of crazy. Yeah. And so I go to pay for that. And she says, you know, and it's first thing in the morning. So you probably need a little potassium. So here's a banana and you probably need a little carbs to really get you up. So here, and I'm like, wow. And I take out my wallet to pay for it. And I have no wallet, <gasps> no. no wallet. No money. And you have to know, I am I have my driver's license, but I've taken all my cards. I do this crazy thing where uh-huh. I put cards that I'm going to travel with in one wallet, and uh-huh. then I put my ID, I stick it to the back of my phone. Right. I left that wallet at home, along with the other wallet that had the other cards in it. All I had was my ID. Right. And I got to catch a flight. I do not have time to go all the way back home and come back. I apologize to her profusely because she's made this amazing drink. And she Mm -hmm. goes, you know what? Just take it. It's on me. (laughs) And of course, I'm like. Fabulous. See, you thought fabulous. I was looking outside because I'm like, she's trying to get me arrested. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get me for stealing Starbucks in the morning. You must be crazy. And she goes, no. And nicest person in the world. And I I took the drink and it was amazing, by the way. Oh, my God. It was the best best drink I'd ever had in my life. Um, it was a great drink. I had a great morning and two or three days had passed mm-hmm. and I had gotten back home and I still hadn't made it back to the store, but you got to know every night I am literally dreaming of Liz. Like I could hear her go, good morning. Hello. Welcome to Starbucks. <laughs> and, yeah. 
And so the guilt, the guilt, like it clearly, I can't steal anything, right? Because the yeah. guilt was just overwhelming I've for me. Got to get back and give us some money. Yeah. I have to go back and give her this money. So I go back to her, you know, I take my $25.84 for my coffee, my pastry, <laughs> and my banana. Yeah. And because that's how much it costs. And uh-huh. she, um, and I take it back to her and I said, thank you. And she looked at me and she was just like, what, why? No, I told you that was on me. You were having a hard day. And I just wanted to do something to make it a little better. And I said, yeah, but Liz, you had no idea that I was actually going to come back. And this is what this is days later. She she remembers. This is days later. She not only remembers me, she remembers my name. Oh wow. She okay. says, you know, we had a moment. She's like, Hi, oh. Donna. And I was like, What the hell? You know? And and she goes, and I said, I just came back to pay for my stuff and get out of here. And she goes, Oh no, I'll make you another, you know, white hot mocha. I was like, What? And so she says, uh, and I said, no, I just want to pay. And she goes, I said, Liz, you had no idea I was going to come back. You, I mean, mm-hmm. I could have taken that. I could be running the scam at every Starbucks in the United States. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm just going yeah. around, yeah, yeah. like, pretending. Yeah, sure. and, and, and she goes, um, and I go, you didn't know I was going to come back. And she goes, no, but it's my job to do everything to make sure that you want to. Fantastic. Well, that's that's such a magic thing, though, isn't it? And, and you, know, you know, I've been into a... I can't even tell you how many different coffee shops. And to be honest, they're so bland, most of them. You know, you walk in, you stand, you order with the silly cup size, you pay the woman, you you wait at the circle, you take your drink. It's the same everywhere. everywhere. Why Why was she like that? What What was different about her or how did that is, – is that something that every Starbucks should have? Because I know they don't. Not everyone does have it, but I will tell you – there are many that I go to in the U.S. that have it. There are right. there are more than a few, um, and and it's not it's not an uncommon experience for me when I go to a Starbucks to yeah. have an experience like that where people actually talk to you and they say, "Hey, how are you doing?" Whether you're in the drive-through or walk-in, so there is kind wow. of that you know, that Disney training, so to speak, in regards to our job is to make sure that you want to come back. And more so than that, they really feel like their job is to make you feel like you're a part of the community. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Well, that was the the third place thing, wasn't it? They started in the first place was, you know, know, you've got your your home place, your workplace, and that third place in between is the Starbucks. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's obviously, it's not done too badly, has it? No, no, they haven't. They haven't done that bad at all. Um, I mean, <laughs> you know, you might want to invest maybe a couple of dollars in a stock. <laughs> I, do, I don't know. I don't know if I can these days. They've yeah, got, know, so, they've right? got so profitable. Yeah, they're enormous. And what you know, obviously, that sort of thing leaves you with an impression. And and I I love learning from the best. I love mm-hmm. learning from businesses like that, saying, okay, well, how can we distill that? that essence of what happened there mm-hmm. how do we take that to our business i know when you're speaking you do a lot of things to make sure that you push that personal brand further and, and, and impact people more what are a couple of other things that you find that work the best for you well I, i'll tell you i'll start with from the stage so from the stage right. when i'm standing on stage because i do tons of uh, keynote speeches and the the one thing that i kind of jokingly say is i actually i've actually never given a keynote speech I've had a right. co- an intimate conversation over coffee with a few thousand people <laughs> right? because my goal is really to, that is my goal. My goal is to have a conversation with them, not to, not to have a speech, which is speaking at someone and to make them feel mm-hmm. like family and to make them feel comfortable. And, 
you know, one of the things that I do is on stage is number one, I, I make it crystal clear that I am absolutely not per- perfect. I'm going to flubber over words. I am not going to have the perfect um, presentation and I'm not going to blame anyone else for anything that goes wrong on that stage or my faults at all. Uh-huh. So, and when I, and even when I give a motivational statement, something that I say, I don't say it down to the audience, you know, as you know, I, I actually say it to the person that needs to hear it. Mm-hmm. And then I ask them, so tell me, so, so does that resonate with you? How does that work? I mean, I want to, it is a conversation and people always talk about how mm-hmm. to be more engaging. And I'm like, well, stop talking at people. <laughs> stop yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that would be a big number one is creating a safe space where people feel like they're a part of the conversation and bringing them into the conversation. That's number one. Okay. I think a big number two for me is I recognize that my job does not start and end in the 45 or 90 minutes that I'm on stage. Um, it starts mm-hmm. from the very beginning when I get there and I meet people and they say, hey, I saw your picture. You look familiar. And and not just say thanks and keep rolling. You know, I stop and talk to people and I introduce myself. They'll say, I saw your picture and I'll say my name. They're like, no, I know who you are. And, you know, and I'll still say my name. And it doesn't matter, you know, and I want to know their name and what makes them come there. And, you know, that type of thing, like really taking a moment to just ask people, what is going on in your world that made you show up here today? That's it. Right. Think about your audience. What's going on in their world that made them listen today? Why is that so important? And how do we listen? What's going on that frustrates them that they want to overcome? And how do we help them? What do we say that helps them fix that? So they just think a little differently, you know? And so that's where I start. Yeah. Um, then beyond that, when I get off the stage, one of the things that I do is I go and take a picture with at every booth with every single solitary vendor. I don't care if there's five vendors or 500 vendors. I go and take a picture right. with every single one of them and I tag them into, I put them on Facebook. I tag them individually. I tag the conference that I was in. Mm-hmm. And for just a moment, if I have a little bit of a spotlight, I'm going to bring that vendor into that spotlight. Oh, cool. Even if just for a second, right? right. Um, it's just one of those things to say, hey, look at this, look at this guy. And I always put, when I put online, by the way, I'm like, they honored me with their presence by showing up. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And so that's kind of one of the other things that I do is making sure that, that I do that. And then the third thing that I do is, you know, I usually have a photographer that I work with or because I want the pictures back so quickly. And I take the the pictures mm-hmm. from the event. Like I just did one recently for the National Association of Broadcasting. I take all I take as many pictures as I can from the event and I then take any quotes or anything that was said that was impactful during the whole week or weekend or two or three days that I was there. And I put those on me. Mm-hmm. I, I turn those pictures into memes and I send them back to all the uh, people that were at the event. Wow. So they know that is special for them. It's not just something I just pulled out. It was something that is for them. There's some really great little ideas there. And none of those are, are, you know, they're not expensive things to do. They're just a little bit of time and a bit of effort, aren't they? Right. Yeah, quite honestly, most of the time, the photographs are taken by their people. If I hire a photographer, I generally hire someone locally. 
if I'm doing the pictures with the vendors and I don't have a photographer, quite honestly, we do a selfie and I just make sure that the vendor's logo is somewhere in there in the background or somewhere where I can capture it. So Uh does it take time? Yes, it takes time. But you know what? That's one of the reasons that I'm there for for the several days that I am there. Instead of just going Mm -hmm. and putting my my carry-on behind the lectern and doing a sprint out the door when I'm done speaking, actually stay and interact and be involved with the people who are there because your service has to go beyond the 45 to 90 minutes that you're on stage. Uh, you know, Donna, I talk to so many speakers and uh, across time and, you know, so many say, oh, you know, I go and I spend time and, I, you know, for instance, I'm at a, at a conference next week. I'll go, you know, I'm, I'm on at 10.30. I'll get there as early as I possibly can. I'll stay till it shuts. I'm there for the day. And why wouldn't you take advantage of that and enjoy being there and, and add as much as you can? But so many just rock up. They do their 45 minutes, their hour and, and, and then goodbye. they leave. Um, and it baffles me. And I will tell you the funny, I will tell you the funniest thing that happened recently at a conference. I'm not going to name the conference. So uh, there was a gentleman Uh who was on before me and he was supposed to go for a full, for his full time. And uh, he was doing a breakout and he, a a general session breakout, and he ended up leaving early and they asked me to do a closing keynote um, because he left so early. And so I was there and they said, they're kind of in this emergency situation. He ends a half an hour early. Can you help us? And I go, absolutely. Uh-huh. Right. And so I jump on stage. I do a, uh, I do this high energy closing keynote. The lady who is like the mother of this association. Um, and this happens often, by the way, where something happens and they go, uh-huh. can you do a closing? And I'm like, I gotcha. Um, it happens quite a bit. That's one of the reasons yeah. why I do stay extra. <laughs> anyway, the lady is the mother of all of this association. Yep. As I'm getting ready to walk off, she's like 90, right? She grabs my hand. She pulls me back to the middle of the stage, puts her arms oh, around yeah. me. And she said, is he gone? Is the other guy? He's gone? Yeah. All right. Well, thank God, because I tell you, watching him speak was like watching paint dry in a thunderstorm. It was never going to end. Oh, I, first of all, the whole audience laughed. You, you, there's a picture of my face where I'm in shock that she said this, but also there's a little bit of reverence because I can't wait to get to the age where I can say whatever I want, just like she does. (laughs) And people just go, well, you know, she's 90. She can say what she wants now. Well, you know, I, I, I say to people, I'm going to be a cantankerous old man when I'm older. And they go, what do you mean when you're older? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you're there. You don't have to strive for it. <laughs> uh, every day I feel it. I feel it. But, but that's it, the it, thing. You don't know. You don't know when you're just there and you're gone. People don't know you. Yeah. They don't get an opportunity to connect with you. And so they have no problem saying these things because literally he got on, he came downstairs 15 minutes before he was supposed to go on. He got off early, grabbed mm-hmm. his bags and walked out the door. Right. That was it. Yeah. Look, service lasts and, you know, working with people lasts forever if you do it right. Mm-hmm. And spending time, taking the time, personal, all the things that we talk about all the time, but embodying those is such a, is there's such a difference from saying it and doing it. Right. And the things you've described, the tips you've given, just, just lovely stuff. So uh, look, could you leave us with one thing, one big thought, one golden nugget, the thing that people could do in their businesses today to be better for today and better for the years to come? What would that be? Absolutely. This is one of my favorites. And, and I'm actually going to leave you with two. And I gave you one already, okay. so this is just going to be the follow-on yep. to it. So the first thing I said is ask people 
what's going on in their world that brought them wherever you are, wherever you guys have met at an intersection. What's going on in your world that Mm -hmm. brought you to Starbucks? What's going on in your world that had just stopped for a moment on my podcast and listen? And and then when you get the answer, put your phone down, put it where you can't even, don't even know that it's vibrating. Don't look over their shoulder Mm -hmm. for the next person. Don't listen to them waiting for them to shut up so you can answer. Really listen to them so that way you have a follow-on question. Don't then say, oh, well, that's what you bought here. You here? Well, let me tell you why I'm here. Don't Mm -hmm. ask with the hope that you can then answer for yourself. No, ask, listen carefully, and then ask a follow-up question that has to do with what they said, not with what you want to say next. Makes all the difference in the world. Be present. Donna, that is fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really lovely talking to you. Thank you. I really, really appreciated being here. I I loved it. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of the Only One Business Show, and I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts. And in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.